Well, please turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 14. We're going to read the last few verses of that chapter. Uh, If you're using one of the church's Bibles, you'll find that on page 874. Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. Children of the living God, this is your Father's word to you this morning. Please give your attention to the reading of it. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? Going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So ends the reading of our God's word to us this morning. Let us ask his blessing on our time in it. Our great God of truth, our merciful Savior, You've told us to offer up our bodies as living and holy sacrifices. For such is holy and acceptable to you. It is our spiritual service of worship. But we confess that we often struggle to do so. We are far too entangled in the affairs and concerns of this world. We have our minds set on the things below rather than the things above. And so we struggle to follow you as we should. And so we ask that you would renew our minds, that you would transform them through your word, that you would teach us to think as you think, to believe as you believe, and to love what you love. Do this, we pray, as we listen to and meditate upon your word. Be with us now by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. It's not working. What's the point? That's what I often hear from people when life gets hard. Uh, When families are falling apart, when cancer seems to be winning the battle, when the spouse that's supposed to love you turns on you, either violently or without faithfulness, 
when life seems to be striking one blow after another, when society is growing increasingly hostile, when flourishing seems to be a pipe dream and simply holding on seems to be the best you can hope for. It's then that people are tempted to say, it's not working. What's the point? Following Jesus isn't going, isn't making my life any better. And if it's not going to make my life any better, if I'm just going to have to endure all these things, what's the point? It's a good question. It's an important question because, because it reveals our assumptions. I, I wasn't in Sunday school this morning, but I came in at the very end and it sounded like Isaac was talking about assumptions and unmet expectations. How do we tend to think? What are our assumptions? We tend to think that if something is true, if it's good, if it's the right path, then it will make life better, easier, and then it will be recognized, and it will be popular, and it will be rewarded. That's what we believe. That's what we expect. Big numbers, large churches, a voice in the public square, and respect. And what happens when we don't get those things? <laughs> Discouragement? Disillusionment? Despair, the temptation to give it all up. And and that's what our passage is about today. It contains a verse that most of us know, probably by heart, and yet we struggle to really believe it. Jesus simply says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We know it. We tell it to others. But if we really understood it, if we really believed it, not just in our heads, but, but in our hearts, and in our, in, in our very bones, in the depths of who we are, we wouldn't be surprised when times get hard. We'd be surprised if they didn't. And so today we're going to spend some time defining what it means to take up your cross. We're going to try to carefully define what it does and and what it doesn't mean. And to do this, we're first going to ask, we really need to ask, what did it mean for Jesus to take up his cross? And then after that, we'll be better able to see what it means for us to take up our cross. And when we do all of this, what we're going to be able to see is this. Jesus surrendered all for you and calls you to surrender all for him. Jesus surrendered all for you and calls you to surrender all for him. I wonder, I'm curious, uh, do you ever read a verse in the Bible and think, that can't be right? (laughs) Or maybe you think, yeah, I think I'll just sort of skip over that for now and and maybe come back to it later. Um. I think verse 26 is like that for most of us. We're used to the Bible saying things like, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. We get that. We, we are used to the Bible when it says, it says things like, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
Or, or husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Or, or maybe even more uh, powerfully, when Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. So when we read a passage that says, unless you hate, well, pretty much everyone, you can't be my disciple, we look at it, scratch our heads, and admittedly are probably a little bit confused. In fact, it's very easy to to assume what you read was, if you hate these people, you can't be my disciple. But Jesus says, unless. So what are we to do? Well, as with most things, we need to remember context. Whatever it means, it has something to do with taking up your cross and counting the cost. Also, we would do well to look at other passages in the Bible that might help, like Matthew 10, verse 37, which says something very similar, but it says it this way. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What Jesus says here echoes actually what we saw in chapter 12 of Luke when he said that he did not come to bring peace but a sword, even dividing families. What he's saying is your love for him must be so great that you are willing to be hated even by your loved ones. Uh, Perhaps the best way to see what Jesus is saying is to look at his life and what it meant for him to take up his cross. Um, Jesus is clear, isn't he, why he came into the world. He says he came into this world to lay down his life in order to save sinners from eternal judgment. Uh, Because that was his calling, he, he refused to ask to be relieved of it. Uh, Even thinking about his impending death, he said this to his disciples. He says, my soul's troubled. But what shall I say? Father, deliver me from this? But that's for this very reason I came. He says, I'm not going to ask to be relieved from the very reason I came, no matter how troubling it is. And that's not what people wanted to hear, is it? They wanted someone who who was a conqueror, not a sufferer, if that's a word. They wanted visible power, not meekness. They wanted a lion. They did not want a lamb. And the more people realized what he was really about, the more they turned on him. They were fine with him while he healed the sick and while he fed their bellies. But when he started talking about suffering, even Peter was willing to rebuke him. I think what we find is that Jesus is an easy to admire from a distance. But the closer you get, the more you get to know him, the harder it is. And no one knew that better than his brothers. 
as, as Jesus' true intentions and mission became more and more clear, uh, those in Jerusalem, the Jews in Jerusalem, started to hate him and desired to kill him. In fact, that, that hatred was, was so great that they could no longer hide it, and it became common knowledge that the leaders in Jerusalem wanted to kill Jesus. And his, his brothers, his own flesh and blood, in the face of that threat, actually tried to provoke him and taunt him into going to Jerusalem, which would mean certain death. And John, uh, who records that for us in chapter 7, he goes on and he explains why. He says, for not even his own brothers believed in him. So focused was Jesus on what he was called to do that he was willing to endure the hatred of his own brothers if that's what it meant. But Jesus did go to Jerusalem, not because his brothers taunted him or tricked him, because that was his calling. Because he came to offer himself as a sacrifice his life for ours. He came to suffer his own wrath in order to spare us from it. To, to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness and to bring us into the kingdom of light. And the only way to do that, as we heard in our, our declaration of pardon today, was to buy us back, to ransom us at the price of his own life. Take me instead of them. The cross wasn't just how he died. The cross represented his whole mission in this world, his whole calling in this world. Jesus bore his cross when he was hated by his brothers for speaking the truth. Jesus bore his cross when he was despised for being meek when they wanted power. Jesus bore his cross when he was lied about. He bore his cross when people were disappointed with him for not meeting their expectations. He bore his cross when he sat outside Lazarus' tomb and wept at the ravages of sin on this world. He bore his cross every time the effects of sin on his creation were before him. And all of that did climax in Jerusalem when he was lied about. And not by Romans, not by Gentiles, but by his own Jewish brothers and sisters. When he was ridiculed as an ironic king, laughed at and mocked because he did not look like the kind of king they desired. And as he sat on the cross, as they mocked him, saying he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from that cross. Then we will believe in him. They thought him a failure. Because he wasn't the kind of king they wanted. And because he refused to meet their expectations, they hated him for it. Even his own disciples, who sat at his feet and listened to him tell them about what would happen in Jerusalem, thought, he was a failure. 
And they thought, it's not working. What's the point? Why follow him if it's only going to end in death? They didn't understand that what they saw as a failure, God saw as victory. Because as Jesus hung on the cross, their sins were being paid for. As he hung on the cross, he conquered sin and death. As he hung on the cross, he ushered in the very kingdom that they claimed they desired. And when Jesus tells us to take up our cross, this is the backstory. Let me, be, let me first be clear what he's not saying. He's not saying that all of us will be martyrs, that we will die on a cross or something equivalent for our faith. Some of us might, but it's not common. Uh, martyrdom is only for a few Christians. Taking up your cross is for all Christians. What it means is defined by what he says about salt in the last two verses. This echoes what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we actually dealt with this in a Sunday school a long time ago. It's on the website if you want to look at it. But in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the salt of the earth. This echo, that's, that's what he's referring to here. And it refers back to the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, Leviticus. In numbers, and 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 every every sacrifice had to be offered with salt; otherwise, it was not holy and it was not acceptable. What Jesus wants you to see is your life as a sacrifice to Him, that you set on His altar and offer up to Him. My life is yours; it is my sacrifice to do with as you will. When you follow Jesus, your life is no longer your own, but has been offered to Jesus. To take up your cross means to recognize that your life is his to do with as he sees best. It's to remember that he has not promised an easier life in this world, but warned you that it will be hard. It might mean martyrdom. It might mean overt persecution for your faith, but not necessarily. Beloved, you experience the cross any time you do what is right for Jesus' sake and it comes at a cost. You experience the cross any time you endure the pains of a sinful world and you place your trust in him. So let's look at some examples of what that might look like in this life. Uh, in the first part of verse 26, he focuses in on broken family relationships. And, and this could come in the form of, of great hostility. Every week we pray for the persecuted church. There are societies where a family will cast you out and maybe even kill you if you become a Christian. Most in our country don't deal with that sort of pressure. But there's pressure none the least. Nonetheless, uh, that pressure could come in the form of an unbelieving spouse who wants you to spend Sundays doing something else than worshiping God. And that pressure to put that spouse before God. 
it could simply come in the temptation to date or marry a non-Christian. It could, the temptation could, could be surrendering to the pressure of your family not to follow Christ or his church. There's many teenagers who hear about how, hear about the gospel, they want to follow their family, says that's not what our family does. No. That temptation could be when a loved one chooses another religion and you're tempted to say, well, there's not just one way. What really matters is that you're sincere in what you believe and you try to be good, but we all ways are equally valid. The temptation to try to comfort your family relationship at the expense of the truth. There are authors who claim to be Christian that are claiming that God being love means that all people get to heaven. And Jesus says to them, not my disciples. You are not my disciples if you teach that. I think the pressure that we are apt to feel right now in our current age is a little bit more subtle. As our culture increasingly embraces the LGBTQ plus message, Christians are faced with a choice. Some churches are changing their stance on calling sin, sin. But the greater struggle is what to do within individual families when a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew or a cousin or a brother or a sister comes out as gay or trans. What does it look like to love somebody in that situation? What does it mean to be faithful to Jesus in that situation? More and more people are, are, are drawing a line and they're telling us that if you can't be okay, if, if you can't support me and even celebrate this with me, then you don't love me and we won't have a relationship. And people are being faced with a choice. Today it's the person with biblical convictions who risks being ostracized. And we know what the temptations are. The, the, the temptation is to hold your family at any cost. And the lines to do that have been given to us, to say something like, well, this is just how God made them, or, or to say that as long as they're in a monogamous, loving, faithful relationship, it's okay, or to say that the Bible was written a long time ago in a different age, and we know so much more now. Because when the cost is personal, the temptation is real. And you, beloved, will be tempted to change your stance, compromise your convictions, and disregard the clear teaching of Scripture. Now, I'm not saying you need to be a jerk to someone who is struggling with certain kinds of sin. In fact, quite the opposite. I think Christians have far too long been comfortable being jerks when it comes to certain kinds of sin, and we need to repent. But neither can you rewrite God's word and call yourself loving. That's what Jesus is saying here. You can't choose family over Jesus and call yourself his disciple. He even goes on and says you must hate your own life. Again, he's not saying you need to seek to end your life or do self-harm. He's saying you can't hold your physical safety above following him. 
Following him might cost you your life, or it might come at physical injury, or it might be at the expense of your health. And to place any of these above following him is to make an idol out of your health. Had Jesus done that, he would never have gone to Jerusalem. And so you must love Jesus more than your own life. When he says you must renounce all that you have in verse 33, he's not, uh, what he's saying is that he must be more important to you than your finances and your comfort. Following Jesus may mean the loss of your wealth and your comfort. And he asks, are you okay with that? Are you willing to surrender all in order to hold on to Jesus? Jesus says that those who are his are willing to let go of all if that's what's required. This is what Jesus means when he says, count the cost. Sadly, evangelistic messages these days often say something like, try Jesus. He'll make your life great. And of course, when life gets hard, they feel cheated because they've been sold a bill of goods. Beloved, when you're tempted to think that your faith isn't working because life is hard, pause and ask yourself, who told you that following Jesus would make you popular, comfortable, healthy, and rich? Did you notice where our passage began in verse 25? Do you, what is it that causes Jesus to say all this? The crowd following him has become large. And his message shouldn't be that popular. And so he feels this need to clarify. Coming to me may mean being hated even by your own family. Might mean being harmed or killed, losing all your money and your comfort. Count the cost. So who in their right mind, I know this is like the worst evangelic message ever preached in any church ever. uh, Who at that point would say, sign me up? Well, the answer is every decision comes at a cost. No decision comes without a cost. It's equally true that you must count the cost of saying no. For everything you gain in this life, you will lose in the next. And everything you lose in this life, you will gain in the next. So count the cost well. What matters more? 80 years or eternity? What's fleeting and temporal or eternal and lasting? I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, I want to follow Jesus. Even if it should mean ostracism or persecution or financial ruin, I know that he is worth more. That's not my fear. It's me. My strength. My resolve. What if when the time comes, I fail? Well, 
Beloved, you need first to trust in the Lord's promise that when the time comes, he will give you the strength. Do you remember what we saw earlier in Luke? When, don't worry when you get dragged between tribunals and I will give you the words to speak. Remember that? And you need to remember that your salvation is not based on your strength. It's based on what he has done for you. No less than the apostle Peter failed when push came to shove. What set him apart from Judas was that he didn't stay there in his failure. He came to Jesus and he repented and the Lord strengthened him and he sent him back out. You follow the same Lord and he will hear your repentance as he heard Peter's and he will strengthen you as he strengthened Peter and he will send you back out as he sent Peter back out. One of the ways he strengthens you is each week as we gather and we hear his word and as you read it at home and in other ways through the Lord's Supper. There's an old expression, you are what you eat. (laughs) Nowhere is that truer than in the Lord's Supper. Because this meal is about your identity. It's about who you are. It's a picture of Jesus' life being offered up as a sacrifice on the cross. It was there on the cross that the world thought him a failure, but it was there on the cross that he won his greatest victory. That was why he came. And it's that sacrifice that defines who you are. Your life is meant to be offered up as a sacrifice to your God. You are the salt of the world, offering your lives on the altar of your God. The bread and the wine don't just tell you who Jesus is, but they tell you who you are as his disciple. As you leave here in just a few minutes this morning, you do so with Jesus' claim on your life. And you you go out into the world as a child and an heir of heaven. And you go out knowing that not even death can separate you from his love. And please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we know how easy it is to hear your word, your call to the cross, but not truly to believe it's for us to experience trials and to think that something has gone wrong. Father, help us to see your plan, your wisdom, and to accept that your ways are above our own. Help us to love you above all else, even our own lives. Teach us to take up our crosses and follow you, to live lives of sacrifice. Teach us to count the cost and to never look back. Amen.